Great, so we've got um, two readings this evening. Um, the second one is from Deuteronomy 6, and then Matthew 4, um, starting to read at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Our second reading comes from Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands and decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey." just as the Lord your God of your God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then, when you eat and are satisfied, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us from there to bring us in 
and give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear our Lord, fear the Lord our God, so that we may always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, so thank you for uh, uh, reading for us. Uh, good evening. If we've not met, my name's uh, Matt Fuller. It'd be lovely to do so uh, at the end, uh, perhaps. You're joining us. Uh, we're working our way through this book of Deuteronomy. Um, those who've been here the last few weeks, we, we, we've jumped chapter five. Oops. Um, that's because actually because uh, next year we're going to come back and spend two months in chapter five. Uh, so rather than Keep going on it. So uh, we'll come back and do a little series on the Ten Commandments uh, next year. But um, so here we are in chapter six. Don't feel shortchanged, please. Let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin together. Our great God and Father, here is a call that we all fall short of, to love you with our hearts, with our souls, with all that we are. Father, we will always fall short of that. We're grateful for the Lord Jesus who did not and has lived obediently in our place. And yet, Father, even now we ask, move us, work within our hearts by your spirit as your word is proclaimed. So that more and more we love you with all that we are. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6, not that complicated. It is just verse 5 in one sense, is right at the heart of it. Verses 4 and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Love him. All out. Over the top. Just everything. Love him. Love him, uh, let your love be seen. Let it be seen in your, well, particularly here, your loyalty to him, your commitment to him, dedication. The love that is spoken of here is embedded in the heart, but is worked out in our lives. It is a love that's seen. It's a love that is loyal. Uh, just after Easter, we had a week away holiday, and uh, we went to uh, Normandy, and it was very wet indeed, uh, and that's okay-ish. Um, uh, but it meant we probably spent, and um, we'd intended to visit a number of the uh, D-Day landing museums from 1944, uh, Operation Overlord, um, the invasion of France. But we probably visited more than we'd expected, um, given the uh, climactic conditions. But it is fantastic to go and do. Uh, a number of museums, I mean, there's all, pretty much everywhere you go, there's a, a decent museum, and every decade of remembrance, every year that ends in four, they tend to build something new or renovate something. So it's fantastic to go and visit. And um, most of them are a great mix of, sort of objectively truths of facts of what happened and some stories, stories of commitment, stories of individual soldiers. And, uh, of course, amidst the bravery you're very struck by, uh, also is the loyalty uh, men in the 40s, they weren't big into emotional vulnerability. 
That, that wasn't, a, you know, in a sort of way that modern man is. Uh, manhood was not defined by sharing uh, in the 1940s. There weren't a lot of blokes who went around saying, friend, I love you. Uh, it's, I'm not saying it's bad or worse. I'm just saying cultures shift. But their love for one another was seen in dying. Utter commitment. Resolve to leave no man behind. To complete their part of the mission because they knew that the next team along depended upon it. Absolute loyalty. There's some stories of fantastic bravery and loyalty there. I enjoyed um, reading about Pegasus Bridge in uh, 12.03 a.m. on the 6th of June, 44. It was the first place the British uh, soldiers landed, and they had to take this bridge over a river and canal, very near the major city of Corn, had to take it. Um, and uh, so a number of paratroopers landed in, and uh, they came under heavy fire. They managed to take the bridge, uh, counterattack, attrition, attrition, attrition. Can we hold this bridge? Can we hold this bridge? Um, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming, comes the message. Can we hold this bridge? Uh, and eventually, they, they, they're exhausted, all these soldiers, and they just hear the faint sound of bagpipes. And uh, you read one bloke's test of the reason. I thought I was going nuts. I was just so exhausted. I thought, how, how can I hear bagpipes? Uh, and then eventually, he sees coming around the corner uh, a chap called... Um, I don't know what he was called. I've got it written down here somewhere. Bill Millen playing the bagpipes, ignoring the fact that bullets are bouncing off the ground uh, near him. Bill Millen... How do you play them? I don't know. Uh, uh, he was playing them all over the place. He was a virtuoso of the bagpipes. And they're probably down here, isn't it? And um, uh, leading reinforcements. And they arrive in a very understated way. They come to reinforce. Uh, terribly sorry, we're a bit late. As if they got caught up in a traffic jam. In fact, they'd lost half their number fighting off the beach. Utter commitment to one another. Loyalty. When we got back, my son and I, teenage son and I, we sat down and watched Saving Private Ryan. I can't remember the last time I saw that. He'd never heard of it, of course. Old film, 98, ancient film or whatever it was. Um, a bit earlier than that, maybe. But, uh, of course, we watched it in, uh, whatever it is, just shy of three hours. Utter commitment. Utter loyalty to the cause. Eight men's... Utter loyalty to one another to see this bloke saved. And uh, for the first time ever in his life, uh, in the last 15 minutes, I was conscious of my son just weeping. Probably because we just spent a week going around battlefields and uh, that on top of the film. Loyalty. That's love. Utter commitment. And that's the loyalty that Deuteronomy 6 is calling for. Love the Lord your God with everything, with all that you are, and let your love be seen in your loyalty to him. If you are joining us, then the uh, book of Deuteronomy, Moses is addressing the people on the outskirts of the promised land. They're just about to go into the promised land of Canaan, and Moses is telling them how to live when they go in. Uh, but, and there's sort of all sorts of great level of detail, but all the commands, they're constantly framed by who the Lord is and what he's done for Israel. There are, they are laws, but they're embedded in a story, who God is and what he's done for them. Chapter 5, all the way to chapter 26 of the second of the three speeches, really in two halves, chapters 5 to 11, sort of the overview or the headlines, chapters 12 to 26, the real detail. So these verses, uh, or these chapters, chapters 5 to 11 in the book, they're really exploring the first great commandment, love the Lord your God. 
and have no others before him. So at the heart of it, really, these verses, uh, chapter 6 and verses 4 and 5. In uh, Jewish thought, the Shema, if you're an Orthodox Jew, you'll say these verses in the morning and in the evening every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So we'll look at it, uh, break the text into these three. Uh, Love the Lord with everything, 4 to 9. Love the Lord with loyalty, 10 to 19. Love him because he first loved you, verses 20 to 25. Love him. First, love the Lord with everything. So verse 4 is a profound statement, and verse 5, the response, the response to it. Hear, O Israel, verse 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Just four little words in Hebrew, and you can see they have a bit of a time trying to work out how to translate it. You can see the footnote. You could translate it that way, or the Lord our God is one Lord, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Um, four words, you take your pick slightly, but in the end it comes down to you take it, it leans in one or two directions. The Lord our God is one in the sense of consistent, unitary, never changing. In that sense, there's an integrity to him. Consistency. His rules are good rules. His words are wonderful words. You can trust them. Or secondly, you take in the sense of he's unique. There's only one like him. And probably, given the flow of these chapters, that's probably more where it leans. But either way, it's not a philosophical statement. How many gods are there? There's one. It's a relational statement. He is the one you need to know. And he is the one you need to love, the Lord. There is no one like him, and so love him. How did you say? With your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, somewhat overlapping terms. Uh, I've I've gone all out on a really sophisticated diagram. We might have that one. It's a bit like that. Uh, So the heart really is the center of you. The the soul is your personage, and, and the strength is all you've got. That's kind of the sense. Are there a, that's the sense of the Hebrew words. So in Hebrew thought, the heart is the center of the emotions and the thoughts, both. That's why when Jesus quotes this in the New Testament, he adds mind in. So Jesus says, you know what the greatest commandment is. It's in Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you could say, Jesus, it never says mind in the Old Testament. But he's saying, no, but that's what it means. Heart in Jewish thought means what? Westerners would mean by all our thinking and all our emotions. It's the center of who you are. In English, we might use the idiom, it's my heartfelt intention. That is, I've considered it long and hard. In my head, I've assessed the options. And now, my heart wants to do it. My heartfelt intention has the sort of both sense of cognitive and emotive. It's both is the heart. The heart is the center of all you are. The soul, uh, that's not uh, the opposite of body, as perhaps we would take it. Body, flesh, soul, metaphysical, um, invisible bit. Now again, in Hebrew thought, I guess more literally, it's, it, it's up to the neck sort of thing, but really it means the extremities. I, the whole of your personage, 
love the whole Lord your God with, with the center of who you are and love him. Well, it doesn't really work. You, you, you know, but the slightly, the slightly naff person might say to their spouse, lover, I love you to the tips of my toes, to the bottom of my fingers. That's a bit twee. But it kind of has that sense to it. Love the Lord your God with, with all of you. Every bit of you. With your heart, your center, with, with all that you are as a person. And then thirdly, with your strength. That's not a great translation. Because it's not a noun. It's literally muchness. Love the Lord your God with your, with your muchness. I, with all that you have. Perhaps resources is a better word, but it's a bit boring as a word. Love the Lord your God with all your resources. Sounds like HR's got hold of you and told you to uh, deploy your... But it is that sense of all that you've got. Everything. All this at your disposal. The lot. Love the Lord your God with your heart, the center of who you are, your soul, everything that you are, with your muchness, all that you possess. Love him. It's the woman in Mark 14, you know, who breaks the jar of perfume over Jesus' head. And people go, what are you doing? That's a year's wages just blown in one shot. But I love him. And I just want to show that I give everything to Jesus. Love him. It's a love that's you see both mental capacity, moral choices, inner feelings. It's your desires. It's the deepest root of your being. It's not just emotional, but it's never less than that. It is love from the heart, emotional, but it is love seen in what you do, how you use all your stuff. Here is a call to say, Lord, it's all yours. I love you. And from my heart and in my being and all I own, it's, it's all yours. It's all yours, Lord. Lord, here, 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 are, my, uh, here are my house keys and, and here are my car keys. And, and Lord, it's all yours. Here's my wallet. Um, it's all yours. Here's my diary. It's in my phone. Don't drop it. Uh, it's all yours. <laughs> Worst of all. Here's my work. Here's my laptop. It's all yours. Lord, it's all yours. Lord, it's all yours. Everything, it's all yours. Lord, it's all yours. All that I am. My desires. My plans. My ambitions. Everything I own. It's yours, Lord. I love you. And I'm putting it all at your disposal. It's yours. It is an affectionate love from the heart that is seen in how we use or how we take our choices. Not merely emotive love. Not merely outward compliance. But... A love rooted in the heart, seen visible in our actions. Both. One without the other is no good. It doesn't work. 
professions of love, but no loyalty. Who cares? Outward compliance, but a heart which is hard towards the Lord and finds his rules burdensome. No good. It's both. Love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your strength. You see, verse 6, these commandments that I give you today, they are to be on your hearts. Forgive me, that is a duff translation. It's literally these words that I command you today. Why does that matter? Because he's saying, this book, Deuteronomy, this must be on your heart today. And in here are not just commands. Here are words of grace. Here are words of history of what the Lord has done for you. You need it all on your heart. If you're going to obey me, you need to know who I am and what I've done for you and not just what I'm commanding you to do. You need to know all of that. That's why commandments is an irritating translation at this point. These words, because there are lots of different words in Deuteronomy. Some are commands. Many are encouragements. This should be on your heart. So immerse yourself in these words. So what you get in the next few verses, 7 down to uh, 9. What do we think about this? Uh, verse 6, these commandments or these words that I command you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What do you make of that? Verse 7, impress them on your kids. I guess talk about them loads in your family. It's a word here to parents, but I guess it's a word here to the whole congregation of Israel and therefore to us. Care about the next generation. Care about the kids in Sunday school, and many here do wonderfully. And this morning you had nowhere to teach them. It was chaos, and still you cared for them. Thank you very much indeed. Care for, well, care for students when they arrive. The next generation moving through. Make sure you pass these on. I guess it's verse 7 is about the family. Verse 8, personally, tie these words as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Should we all do that when we go to work tomorrow? That'll be okay, probably. It's probably okay to do that these days, if a little bit weird. I don't think he means it literally. Uh, in Leviticus, uh, a firstborn child is to be bound on your head and upon your hands. Um, that probably gets a bit awkward by the time they're 18. Um, can't really do it by the time, time someone's 25 years old. Uh, the point is, have them prominent in your thinking. Your, your head when you think, your hand when you act. Think about these words. Verse 9, in the public spheres, write them on the door frames of your houses, on your gates. Decorate your houses with scripture. And on your gates, it's sort of the courthouses uh, in Hebrew, Hebrew thinking at the time. So in the public rooms, in your houses. And of course, you could read all this and think, well, it's a bit naff, isn't it? A bit keen to sort of have Bible written everywhere, written on your hands and constantly talking about it to your kids. It's worth asking, when we have Matthew 4 read, how does Jesus resist the temptations of the devil? He quotes Deuteronomy 6 and the bit of chapter 8 because these words, he knows them. And these are the words that help him love the Lord and resist temptation. It is hard to love someone if you don't listen to them. 
or speak to them. I don't think I've ever met anyone who has a depth of relationship with the Lord who doesn't spend time in his word and responding in prayer. Why do you think you would? You've got to listen to someone and speak to them to love them. So, have them everywhere, these words. Have these words around them, I guess, for you and me tonight. Talk about these words. Surround yourself with these words so that you love the Lord. Love the Lord with everything, all that you've got, verses 4 to 9. Then love the Lord, uh, he pushes it further, love the Lord with loyalty, verses uh, 10 to 19. Here is realism. I guess uh, verses 10 to 19, they're a little homily or a little sermon on verse 5. Here is advance warning in verses 10 to 19, in case it was needed, that loving the Lord wholeheartedly is quite hard. And uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Yeah, that was timelessly true. So here are three little challenges, Moses says, that, or the Lord tells them, three little challenges you're going to face when you go into the promised land. Uh, affluence, conformity, and hardship are the three. You see, there are three little do, uh, do nots, verse 12, verse 14, verse 16, verse 12. Be careful you don't forget the Lord, verse 14. Do not follow other gods, verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Those three, three little tests. The first one, verses uh, 10 to 12, affluence, watch out for that. Look what they're going to inherit. It's amazing. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large, flourishing cities you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When wealth lands in your lap, very easy to forget the source of it, the Lord says. So you're moving to this promised land, inherit all this great stuff. And your heart can easily wander because you're just affluent. And therefore you think, oh, I don't need any help. Look at me. I love the little story of um, uh, the granny. The granny who uh, at Christmas sent her uh, three teenage grandchildren a Christmas card, 500 pounds check in each of the Christmas cards. Dear grandchild, uh, Buy something you really like. Love Granny. And she sent this, and, and uh, the, so all three of them rang her up and said, oh, Granny, thank you very much. That's, that's fantastic. I'm going to buy an Xbox, a new bike, or whatever it is. Well, that's nice, dear. What's an Xbox? Um, anyway, uh, she does it the following year. Uh, but actually, only one of them rings her up. You know, she's the same 500 pounds. Dear grandchild, buy something you love. Only one actually rings her up. She thinks, oh, only one said thank you. Huh. The following year, same again, 500 pounds in, in three, che- three Christmas cards, three checks go out. And uh, Dear grandchild, buy something you really love. But none of them get back to her. Oh. Following year, a little different. Following year, she sends them all a Christmas card. No check. Sends them all a Christmas card. Dear grandchild, Buy something you really love. 
loved Granny. Well, within a week, all three of the grandchildren come to visit her and say, Granny, thank you so much for the card. Oh, that's all right, dear. It's very kind of you to say we should buy something we'd like. That's all right. Oh, Granny, you, you forgot to put the check in. No, I didn't. Oh. Yes, but I keep giving you this and you never say thank you. So why don't you buy something you like? Well, I've got no money, Granny. Ah. You realize where the source of your wealth is now. Maybe just a little thank you note to your old gran. A bit hurtful when it doesn't come. The Lord says, look, when you come and you're affluent, don't forget the source of where it comes from. Very easy to do that. Life good for you at the moment? All going well? Healthy? Work good? Friendships happy, you know, good? Relationships otherwise, all happy? Great, good for you. Don't forget the Lord. Very easy to do in times of affluence. That's one challenge or temptation. Affluence. Uh, the second is conformity, uh, verse... <clears throat> Verses 13, 14. Uh, Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and, do, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he'll destroy you from the face of the land. So the first challenge is affluence. The second one here is conformity. Resisting the flow is hard in a culture. Very hard. I think uh, one of the most vivid ones I... <clears throat> Uh, remember observing uh, years ago. Remember visiting um, uh, Berlin and uh, in one of the suburbs uh, is Sachsenhausen uh, death camp. It's where the SS had their headquarters, and it was a, a murder camp. And it's uh, if you've ever been there, it's it's in a real um, residential suburb. You know, it's surrounded by houses. It's like having a death camp at the end of your street, plonked in the middle of whatever uh, Clapham High Street or whatever it may be. You know, everyone's living around it, and uh, all sorts of undesirables were there and uh, killed, not gassed at that particular one, or shot. Uh, and the chambers, you know, but the, uh, they were burned, and the, the so the smell of uh, flesh it was there and all, uh, all the time during the war. And um, our guide taking us around, a German chap, pointed out a number of times. He was pretty keen to point out everyone knew. Well, the whole neighborhood knew exactly what this was. Oh, golly. I was taking a school trip round at the time. Golly, naive comment. Why did the people not do anything about it? Because conformity is easy. And living distinctively when it costs you is hard. It's the most vivid picture I've ever seen of that. The pressure to conform with the norms of a society is huge. But that's what love looks like, not conforming, but rather fearing the Lord, verse 13, serving him only, not taking oaths, so excuse me, only taking oaths in his name. We're told here the Lord our God is a, a jealous God. It's a phrase that comes up a few times in the book of Deuteronomy. I guess it's obvious thing to point out that there's bad jealousy and good jealousy. You know, bad jealousy is sort of super over-possessive. It, it's the marriage where, I don't know, the wife says, uh, I, I can't bear it when you speak to anyone else. Um, you mustn't speak to him on the phone or her on the phone. I, I need you all for myself. Uh, that's a sort of uh, oppressive, bad jealousy. Good jealousy or appropriate jealousy 
is why in a marriage, a spouse has an affair and the wounded party says, I hurt. I'm angry. That is an appropriate jealousy. The opposite of which is indifference, which means you didn't care. And when the Lord says, I am a jealous God, it is him saying to his people, I am not indifferent about how you are. I love you passionately. I really love you. And so if you betray me, I am upset because I care. Uh, Affluence, conformity, uh, uh, two challenges. The third challenge, very very briefly, verse 16. um, Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Well, one or two, remember, uh, uh, this refers back to an incident in uh, Exodus chapter 17. The Lord has just rescued the Israelites from slavery, um, and uh, they've just passed through the Red Sea, and uh, then, they, then they're a bit short of water. And so they grumble, and they rebel against Moses. And we, the, the word uses, they grumble against the Lord, saying, well, is God with us or not? Because we're thirsty. Now, tangentially, you might think to yourself, Hey, he can part the Red Sea. He's quite good with water. We're short with water. He can probably produce some, but they don't do that. It's only a couple of weeks after the Red Sea. Um, But they say, well, we're thirsty. Is God for us or not? And that's very human, isn't it? Life is hard and you say, well, is God for me or not? I mean, just a little few verses here. Here are the challenges to your wholehearted love for me. Affluence and hardship. Sort of opposite ends of the spectrum in one sense. And both of them, well, they're tests of your love. And conformity, just blending in. The opposite of testing the Lord, well, verse 17 is that you're sure to keep his commands and stipulations, and decrees. In verse 18, you do what is right, and you do what is good. Lord, it's hard right now. I haven't got everything I want, but I'll obey you. I'll be loyal to you, for that is I'll love you. Three challenges to our protestations of love, three tests of our loyalty, I guess. You see what the Lord is calling for? Not merely an emotional expression, not merely outward compliance, but a love that is rooted in the heart and seen in our actions. Real love. A love that's loyal. Love the Lord with everything, verses 49. Love the Lord with loyalty, 10 to 19. Third, love him because he first loved you. I, mean, I don't know how you hear this sort of call for a wholehearted love. I, I, if, if nothing else, I'd expect some here to say, yeah, yeah, I want to do this. This is how I want to live. Uh, others to say, oh, I, I, I try to live this way, but I, I can't. You know, my heart does wander all the time. And, uh, and others to say, well, stuff that. Uh, it's too hard. Uh, and I don't want to. Uh, I want to keep my stuff for myself. I don't want to throw my laptop, particularly when people drop it. Um, I want my stuff for myself. Love him because he first loved you. Verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, 
What is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Question. Dad, you keep all these rules and regulations and you tell me to. Why? Answer. Verse 21. Know what God has done. Tell your son... Verse 21, tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. Very striking, verse 21. Sorry, verse 20, when your son asks you, why have we got to keep all these laws? It doesn't just jump to verse 24, because the Lord commanded us to. Now that is, dare I say, most parenting. Dare I say, my own parenting at times. Why have we got to do this? Because I said we are. Um, And there's a time and a place for that, I think, probably. But that's not how it works biblically. The Lord doesn't say, keep these rules because I've told you to. He says, obey me. Because I've loved you. I've rescued you. I've treated you way beyond you deserve, how you deserve. And now for your good, I say, live this way. Love me. For in doing so, you are the people you're meant to be. Why should we bother to love the Lord with this level of commitment, loyalty and dedication? Because he loved us. Now, you and I are not Israelites in the plains of Moab listening to Moses. So I guess it goes a bit like this. If you were to ask this evening, why should we keep the commands of the Lord? Why should we love him with all our hearts, souls, and strength? I think the answer is a bit like this. When our children ask us in the days to come, what is the meaning of the ordinances and customs that we observe, then we will say, well, we were slaves to sin. But the Lord Jesus rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and ushered us into his glorious kingdom of light through his death and resurrection. He brought us out in fulfillment of his promises and in accordance with his glorious plan of salvation conceived before the foundation of the world. So the Lord God commanded us to demonstrate our fear and love for him by keeping his commands for our good always. And as an expression of our relationship with him, it will be a testimony to our righteousness, won by Christ, if we're careful to show that we love the Lord with all our hearts as he's commanded us. And one day we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, as we enter the promised land of glory. Why keep these commands? Because he loves you in a way that Affluence, conformity, hardship. They're they're never going to love you. Don't give your heart to them. He loves you. The only way you love him from the heart is to know that you have been loved by him. Sacrificially in the death of Jesus Christ. And when you dwell on that, you can be loyal. Loyal. 
one of the places if you do go to Normandy and look around all the, uh, the the battlefields and the stuff there, one of the places you have to go to is Pegasus Bridge, this bridge that, that was first captured by the um, first place the British soldiers landed at 12.03 a.m., uh, parachuted in, or they flew in in gliders, actually. There's a cafe next to the bridge. It was there in 1944. It's been there since 1932. It's a cafe owned by the Gondre family. I probably pronounced that horribly. Uh, the Gondre family, um, uh, they were ecstatic when they saw the, uh, you can read this, all, all this testimonies online. Uh, they were ecstatic when they saw the British uh, forces come in. They said nothing. Um, and uh, 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 the first uh, it was a sort of battle, of course, they, they cleared the bridge of, um, of opposing forces and they took it. And then uh, the Gondre family poured out of their house and you could read the account of the mother just kissing, 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 in a very French way, uh, all these uh, paratroopers and getting uh, camouflage stuff all over her face. And they're just enormous enthusiasm. They opened up their house, they went to their garden and they dug up 98 bottles of fine champagne that they buried uh, in 1940 when, uh, when France had been invaded. They certainly weren't giving it to the enemy. They were just ecstatic because their lives had been miserable for years and years and years under occupation. And uh, if you go to the Pegasus Bridge, uh, the cafe's still there. And it's still owned by the Gondre family. And uh, we went out a couple of weeks ago, and one of our party was, uh, he's a soldier in the army, a serving officer. And uh, she said, oh, you're in the army, you get your drinks for free. Because the 83-year-old grandma was an eight-year-old girl in 1944. And she has never forgotten that she was rescued from a period of darkness and given her freedom. And she's still very grateful, still a little over-effusive in her kisses. And no one likes them from a grandma. But she's never forgotten. Love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. Because he's loved you in a way that no one else can. No one else will. That has determined your eternity. Love him. Let me lead us in prayer together. Hear, my people, the Lord your God, the Lord is unique. There is none like him, Father, Son, and Spirit. There is no one like the Lord Jesus Christ who has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into his kingdom, one of love. Father, our prayer is that you would convince us ever more deeply of your love for us so that we would love you from the heart, with our affections, with our thinking, with our planning, Love you with all that we are in ourselves as an individual. Love you with all that we've got. Love you with our muchness. Love you with our stuff. Love you with our time, with our hopes, with our dreams, with our ambitions. Because you're worthy of that love. You deserve that love. You are so magnificent. We should love you in such a way. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen.